Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any info on our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. We're in a series called Home Life, and, uh, and so far we've been talking about work life because work life and home life feed into each other. If you are in a job that is overwhelming and stressful and all sorts of things, it's going to affect your life at home. And on the flip side, at home, if your life is chaotic and you don't know how to rest and you don't know how to connect with Jesus, that's going to affect your work life and you're going to be more stressed at work. And so it goes back and forth. And really what we're looking for is we're looking to reconnect to the joy, just like that song, The Living Waters. Walking with Christ is supposed, to be, uh, is supposed to have joy in it. Not that every moment of our lives is happy, but walking with Christ is supposed to be uh, a joy-filled experience. And so we want to learn to how do we move past just surviving in our lives, just surviving and getting by with stress and burnout and media addiction, all that. How do we live a life that uh, is truly human in the way God made us to be human? And, uh, and that's what this is about. And so, uh, you know, the last couple of weeks we talked about you know, that uh, any job, so many Christians carry around this, you know, guilt complex and they don't think they're spiritual enough or they, they're looking to do something spiritual for God. They don't realize that any job, any job, you can be called to be a janitor, you can be called to be a trucker, you can be called to be a farmer, just like a person can be called to be a missionary or pastor. All of them are equally spiritually spiritual and people are called to all of them. So any job can be a calling, okay? Today, I want to talk about how do you find your calling, and then at the end, I want to switch now more into the home life side of things and begin to switch into some thoughts about devotional life and how we connect to God as human beings. But to start off here, I want to talk about a fear that over the years as I've been pastor here, and again, the, couple, the last couple of weeks as I've talked about work, uh, I want to talk about something that I often hear from Christians And that is this fear, and it looks different at different ages, but at the younger ages, it looks like this, Uh, people who are nervous, how do I find my calling? Or what is God calling me to? And sometimes people have this anxiety, they're worried about missing their calling. As you get older, it's not always, how do I find my calling? It's people looking back and saying, did I miss my calling? Okay? And so there's this, there can be this general anxiety with many Christians about calling. Have I, have I found my calling? Am I doing what God made me to do? And the first thing I want to say about that, this is really important. There's some, just some basic truths about calling that I, I want you to leave this message with and take with you, you know, hopefully for the rest of your lives. It'll just give you some, some peace. Um, the first thing you have to understand about calling, because we talk about calling a lot in the West, and we talk about it very differently than the Bible does. Do you know that the Bible, nowhere, you can go and look for a verse that talks about how do you find your calling, or even that says you should go find your calling, and you won't find that verse in the Bible. The Bible, surprisingly enough, if you think about how often we talk about it in the West, does not talk about ever finding your calling, does not command us to look for a calling, and is not, does not seem to be concerned at all that anyone could miss their calling. In fact, the general overarching view of the Bible is you can turn anything into a calling by working at it to your best with integrity before Jesus. And again, the verse we looked at 
Last week, 1 Corinthians 7.17, and then after that, I'm going to take you on a sweeping, fast journey through a bunch of characters of Scripture to show you that this is true. But 1 Corinthians 7.17, which we looked at much more in depth last week, says this, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. In other words, you don't have to change what you're doing in order to be called. You can turn whatever you're doing right now into a calling. Okay, I would actually suggest that it is impossible, unless you are outright rebellious against God and intentionally as best you can trying to disobey him, I would suggest that it is actually impossible for anyone to miss their calling. And let me just take you, and, and we, you'll see this, I'm not going to show you a bunch of passages on the screen now, I'm just going to talk to you about a bunch of Bible stories and characters and examples. Okay, let's start with the Old Testament character of Joseph. Okay, Joseph. And let's start with Joseph as a teenager, has a dream. And in his dream, he sees a bunch of sheaves of wheat bowing down to him. He surmises from that, you know, my family is at some point going to bow down to me. But there's no more information in the dream than that. He doesn't know what does this actually mean in terms of a job. Will it actually happen? He just has a dream, okay? Now, what does he do after that dream? Does he proceed to make plans and to be nervous and to be anxious about how he's going to fulfill his calling? No. He goes about his life as a teenager. The next thing you know, what happens? He is sold by, he's thrown into a pit and then sold by his brothers into slavery. Let me ask you something. First of all, did he have any control over that? No. Very important. Uh, was this part of his calling plan? Step one, be sold by my brothers into slavery. No. It was completely outside of his control. It wasn't part of his plan. He gets sold into slavery. So what does he do about it? The only thing you can do if you are a follower of Jesus, now in that case, he didn't know the name of Jesus, but he's a follower of Yahweh. You know what he does? He turns his slavery into a calling. He works his best as a slave. Isn't it true? In Potiphar's house, he has integrity. He works his best, and he does so well as a slave that Potiphar makes him manager of his house. He turns his slavery into a calling. Then what happens after that? Do we find any evidence of him doing a lot of prayer and fasting? Lord, what is my calling? What is my calling? None whatsoever. We just find him working. What happens next? Potiphar's wife accuses him wrongfully of assault, and he gets thrown into prison. Did he have any control over that? No. Was that part of his plan to reach his calling? No. Completely outside of his control. So what does he do when he gets to jail? Does he spend the whole time going, I've missed my calling. I'll never fulfill what God made me to do. I'll never use my gifts and talents and abilities. No. He turns his life as a prisoner into a calling. And he actually works in the prison with such integrity and shows such integrity and character there that the jailer essentially makes him the manager of the prisoners. So he turns his slavery into a, call, into a calling. He turns his jail time into a calling. And what happens after that? Is he wringing his hand? What's my calling? What's my calling? What's my calling? No. Pharaoh now pulls him out of jail and says, interpret my dream which of course he can't do. God gives him the interpretation. And now Pharaoh makes him the second in command over all of Egypt. And he ends up being God's uh, you know, tool of salvation you know, to save from, from uh, famine. All of the, middle, you know, the known world in the Middle East and his own family. And that's the part of the story that us Christians often focus on and say, that was Joseph's calling. But the fact of the matter is, Joseph was in his calling the entire way to second in command. 
And he didn't put himself, the other thing I want you to see is that Joseph never saw into the future. God never told him in advance, this is your calling, now move your way there. Joseph actually only sees in reverse at the end that it's a calling. It's only at the end when he tells his brothers, what you meant for harm, God meant for good. You know what the lesson is that we learn from Joseph? I'll tell you what the lesson is. Just do your best at whatever you're doing right now, and God will take care of moving you to where he wants. Your job is just do your best where you are right now. God's job is to put you in your calling. I can show you this in every character in the Bible. Nobody ever fulfilled their calling by having to get there on their own strength. God is the God of the universe. If he has a calling for you, guess whose job it is to put you into your calling? Yours or his? His. How about Moses? Let's talk about Moses for a moment, okay? Moses, okay? He had a big calling, right? Lead Israel out of Egypt, okay? How did he get to that calling? Well, let's start with he murders an Egyptian. By the way, murder is not a great way to fulfill your calling. He murders an Egyptian. What does he do next? He runs into the Midianite desert. He runs away. Okay? Is this part of his calling plan? Is he thinking to himself, God, how am I going to, you've given me talents and abilities, how am I not going to waste them? That's not what he's thinking. He's thinking survival. He gets into the Midianite desert. And what does he do when he's in the Midianite desert? Does he go on a calling, you know, fulfillment plan? I'm taking leadership courses. I'm doing this. I'm doing prayer and fasting to get, no. He does the only thing you can do in a Midianite desert. He shepherds sheep and scrapes by. In fact, he was willing to just be a shepherd till the end of his life. He's a shepherd for 40 years. He's not doing anything about his calling. Okay? And then what happens? Does he figure something out and then go and lead Israel? No. God shows up to him in a burning bush and speaks to him out of the burning bush and tells Moses, I want you to lead my people of Israel out. And you know what Moses says then? No. I can't do it. He actually initially, go and read it. Okay? In the book of Exodus... He says, I can't do it, and God makes him do it anyway. You want to know the lesson we learned from Moses? If God really wants you to do something, he will get your attention. Isn't that true? How many people are just all worried? What if I'm missing my calling? What if I'm missing my calling? What if I'm missing my calling? You know what? God is the God of the universe. If he wants to tell you something, he will tell you. How about the Apostle Paul? He's another example, right up there with Moses. The Apostle Paul, was he sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit before he became a Christian? Was he seeking his calling? No, he was murdering Christians and jailing them. How does God get his attention? Shines a light in his face that's so bright he goes blind and then says, stop it. <laughs> and then Paul has his calling. So, what does that say to you when you're trying to make a choice between so is God calling me to career A or is God calling me to career B? Is he calling me to choice A or is he calling me to choice B? Here's the thing. If he's not making it obvious to you, it's probably up to you. Did you ever think about that? Think about it. Think about it. Okay, I'm a dad with kids, okay? So if you're here today and you're a parent, you have kids. You know how this works, right? If I'm upstairs and let's say my two youngest kids are downstairs and they're playing, if I want them to come upstairs and do something else and clean their room or something, whose responsibility is it to communicate loud enough and clear enough that they know what I want them to do? 
Is it their responsibility to be able to hear, or is it my responsibility to talk loud enough? Just in case you're wondering, it's mine. And any of you who didn't know that who's a parent, you need to take the parenting course ASAP. Can you imagine if I sat on the couch upstairs while they're downstairs and I want them to clean their room upstairs and I didn't tell them loud enough if I just whispered on the couch and said, come upstairs, clean your room. <laughs> and then proceeded to get mad at them two hours later when they didn't do what they couldn't hear me say to them to do? Did you follow that? Would I be a good dad? Would God be a good father if he expected you to know what he wants you to do but didn't make himself clear? The burning bush, the blinding light, teaches something about God. If he wants to get your attention, he not only can do it, he will do it. And he will not hold you responsible for doing something you didn't know he wanted you to do. So if you have to make a choice between choice A and choice B, and he's not making it clear, that's because actually often God wants us to make choices, and we'll get to that in just a few minutes. There's just one more story I want to share with you, because we could share tons. We could talk about David. We could talk about Abraham. We could talk about uh, the disciples, okay? Nowhere in the Bible do we find anyone worrying about their calling. But I want to share with you what I think is the most, when it comes to not being able to miss your calling, I think this is the most uh, uh, you know, exciting or most relieving or most encouraging, that's the one I should say, is the most encouraging story in the entire Bible, and that is the story of Jonah. God comes to Jonah and gives him a clear calling. He says, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach repentance. And what does Jonah say? Nope. And he actually runs the opposite direction. And what does God do? He sends a shark after him to eat him. And then Jonah repents in the belly of the shark. Now remember, Jonah's going the wrong way. God sends a shark to eat Jonah, brings him back all the way to Nineveh, and pukes him up on the beach of Nineveh. Did Jonah miss his calling? He tried to miss his calling, and he couldn't. Here's a lesson we learned from Jonah. Even if you are nowhere close to perfect, and that's all of us, you still won't miss your calling. You, you might do some stupid things and you might lessen some of the fruitfulness of some of the things God wants you to do, possibly. Or, but I think the only way to actually miss your calling is to outright just rebel against God and never repent and dig your heels in and try not to be used by him. But if there is any desire in you to please God, please do yourself a favor. God himself does not want you. Do I want my kids to be downstairs in the basement constantly worried and they stop playing? I wonder if dad's saying something to us. Do you think dad's saying something to us? I wonder if he's saying something. What if we're missing what he's saying? What if he wants us to do something and he's not telling us? Can you imagine what I feel good as a dad if my parents worried like that? Do you think God feels good about you being neurotic and worrying all the time if you're missing something when he can come up to you with a blinding light or a burning bush? Now that doesn't mean we don't listen to him. We do listen all the time. And we ask him, and we take time to quiet our hearts and journal, and that's what devotions is all about. But in the meantime, if he's not telling you something directly, then just align yourself with his love, feel his love, and make choices as best you can. And that brings us now to the next section, which is how then do we make decisions? Okay? Because 
the biblical teaching about calling is not you have to go do a, you know, a lot of searching and fasting and praying in order to find your calling. The biblical teaching about calling is whatever you're doing right now, turn it into a calling by doing it your best and doing it with integrity, doing it for the Lord. Okay? But now that brings the question, and this is where, you know, over the years, so many people I've met with, I've prayed with, I've talked with, and they come to me, and it's, it has to do with choices. I've, I've, got an, I've got choices in front of me, right? Do I take this job, job A, or do I take job B? Do I take career C or career D or track, you know, whatever, right? Have you ever noticed something about human nature? If you, that better options actually make us more stressed. Have you ever noticed that? Like, life would actually just be easier. You're working job A, and it's not the greatest job in the world, but it's fine. You have no stress. And then a better opportunity comes along, and you're stressed. Isn't that how it works? Just having the option to do something better makes us stressed. What do I do? Okay? So what do you do? How do we make decisions when there's A and B and C and D and all these sorts of things. So I just want to give you three basic guidelines, and this will tie into our devotions and how we're wired and all that sort of stuff. First thing I want to say is this. Do not over-spiritualize the decisions you have to make. The decisions you have to make are already stressful enough. How many of you have found a decision ever in your life to be stressful? Okay? And again, the rest of you are lying, okay? Or you (laughs) have been in a bubble. Decisions are stressful. You know what I see many Christians doing? And well-meaning, it comes out of a good place. We make the decision 10 times more stressful because there's already stress. You know, which decision do I make? There's financial implications. There's family implications. There's, you know, am I going to like it implications? Am I going to regret it implications? There's all kinds of things that already stress us about a decision. Now we add to that, we double the weight of that stress by putting the weight on and saying, And what does God want me to do? (laughs) You know what you can trust? If God really wants you to do one or the other, and there will be some times when he does, and I can tell you times in my life, but when he really, really wants you to do one thing and not another, he will make that clear. You can trust that he will. See, that brings up this next Point, prayerfully seek for wisdom and then do this. Trust that God is guiding you in the process. Prayerfully seek for wisdom, then trust that God is 100% going to guide you in the process. Proverbs chapter 2, let me read you a promise here. My son, verse 1, my son, if you've received my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you might or then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. That is a promise. And there's a couple things I want you to notice so first. First of all, I want you to notice that it does not say, then he will tell you exactly what you should do. Notice that's not the promise. Can I explain to you that prayer is not a gimmick? Prayer is not some kind of gimmick where you go to God and he tells you exactly 
Don't do B, C, D, or E. Do A. And then you do A. Now what should I do? Do F, not G, H, J, Z, or X. And you just do that. And you never have to have any uncertainty in life. You never have to exercise faith. And you never have to wrestle with anything. That's actually not how God operates. Prayer is not a gimmick whereby every time you want to know exactly what you should do because you just want to feel certain about your future, that he will always tell you exactly what you should do so you never have to trust. Remember Joseph. He never knew in advance what he was supposed to do. It was at the end when he looked back that he could see God guided me all the way. Do you know that's how it usually works in life? Most of the time, God is not telling us in advance. He's telling us in the past, and we look back and we see, he did guide me. He did. Look where he moved me there. Look what he did that. Look how he used that thing that I thought was a mistake. Look how he used that thing that I thought was a mess up, that I thought was a bad thing. Look how he used that. That was all part of my calling, and I can now see it in the rearview mirror. Does that make sense? So God is going to move you. So you seek him in, in prayer, and then he moves you. So what is the promise here, though, um, is that he's going to guide you. Now, here's the second thing I want you to notice about this passage. We, we sometimes tend to think that if I pray and God's going to guide me, he's going to give me wisdom in my prayer time. Do you know that God speaking to you in prayer is only one way he can communicate to you out of thousands? God is far too creative just because, again, we have this idea that the only part of my day God cares about is my devotions. He cares about your whole day. That's the point of this series. Your work, your time at work is just as spiritual as your time in devotions. So you think, I prayed for wisdom and I didn't get any while I was praying. You think that means God wasn't speaking. But speaking to you in prayer is only one way God speaks. He speaks through circumstances. He speaks through thoughts. He speaks through a phrase in a song on the radio that you just happen to hear. He speaks through conversations you have with people. He sometimes speaks to you through the own words coming out of your mouth. How many of you have ever had an experience where you're in a conversation with someone, you're trying to work through something, and then something comes out of your mouth and it was profound, and you're like, did I just say that? God just spoke to me through me. Have you ever had that? I, I wish I would get that more during my messages, but I occasionally get that in conversation. And I'll say something, and I was like, i got to write that down. I think God was just speaking to me, through me. God speaks to us through all kinds of different ways, not just in your prayer time. So you seek for wisdom. It doesn't say, and then he will speak to you in your prayer time. He might speak to you there. He often will. And we take the time to listen there as a practice that is supposed to remind us to listen all day long, not just with our ears, but by watching what he's doing in our lives. Does that make sense? So sometimes people come to me and they're like, God's not speaking to me, God's not speaking to me, God's not speaking to me. And I start asking them questions. The next thing you know, they're like, oh, I think, oh, God has been kind of guiding them. Now, I want you to notice another thing here is when you, it says you've got to seek for wisdom. Now, praying for wisdom is, the, is step one. Pray for wisdom. James says you have not because you ask not. So praying for wisdom is step number one. But a lot of Christians just stop there because we've over-spiritualized things. There's a lot more to seeking wisdom than just prayer. Prayer is only a starting point. There's a hundred other things we need to do to seek wisdom. For example, let me tell you something that many of us would think is not spiritual, but is every bit as spiritual as prayer. How about when you have a decision, do I want to take job A or do I want to take job B? Have you ever thought about 
you know, sometimes I'll ask people, have you ever just clarified your goals and expectations in life and like what you want out of a job? I thought I was just supposed to pray about it. Where does it say that in the Bible? Is it seek for wisdom? It doesn't even say prayer in this passage. You say, but if I'm not praying, I'm not actually asking God. Yes, you are. God made people were physical beings and minds. And when you use your mind, you're using something he gave you. So let me tell you, you pray for wisdom. But like, let's say you have, a, 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 you know, and this is only one thing. We could talk about, like I said, we could talk about a hundred things. How do you seek for wisdom? I mean, for example, when you're about to make a big decision, it is wise to speak to your spouse about it. You say, yeah, but my spouse isn't wise. Yes, but it's still wise to talk to them. <laughs> right? Speak to people you know and trust. But have you ever, you know what I often do when people talk to me about a decision? I'll just tell you right where I go. First, I ask, okay, have you been praying about it? Yes, okay, good. So keep praying about it because you've got to ask God for wisdom. But now you have to use everything else at your disposal because he's going to work through those things. So I ask them, like, what are you looking for in a job? Well, I, I don't really know. Yes, because you were hoping prayer would be a gimmick where you don't do any work and God just tells you what to do. That's not how it works. Have you actually thought through what you want? Have you made a list of pros and cons? This is intensely spiritual, figuring out what you want. So job A maybe pays a little bit less. That's a con. Check. Con. Job B pays a little bit more. Pro. Job B involves, let's say, a commute. I had a conversation with someone about this just recently. So it has a commute. Well, that's a con. Unless, you really, unless driving charges you up, then it's a pro. But you write down a commute. Now, two different people could approach, two different Christians who both love Jesus could both approach the same choice and make different ones. Neither one is right or wrong. One person looks at job B and says, you know what, in my life, it, the most important thing to me is to get satisfaction out of the job itself. So if I stay in job A, yeah, I'm closer to home, but I know I'll be miserable, I'll be here long term, I need more of a challenge, I'm going to take job B, even though I'm sacrificing by having to drive one hour there and one hour back, I'm going to lose two hours of my day. That's legitimate. Meanwhile, the other person looks at it and says, you know, some people, the way they're wired, actually work isn't as important to them as it is to others. I mean, for all of us as human beings, we've been talking about that in this series, work is important to do. But some people, I could be happy at job A, I could be happy at job B. Their biggest thing in life is they just want to be around family. They want to coach their kids' soccer teams. That's what's more important to them. So they look at job A and job B and they say, well, if I do that commute, I'm not going to be able to be home most nights. And actually, that's, I know I'll be miserable. I won't be able to coach hockey. I won't be able to do this or this or that. So actually, I'm going to choose job A. Both people can make a choice. And you say, but where does God come into this? Well, here's where God comes into this. If God really wants you to take job B, he will tell you, then do it. And if you pray about it and there's no clarity, you get to pick. Just like with my kids, do I micromanage every choice they make in the day? No, I want them to grow up. God wants you to grow up. I can think of this in my own life, big choices I've made. There's lots of choices I've just had to make prayerfully, and then occasionally he stopped me and made a choice for me. I remember like a story that I often tell, but it just illustrates it here so beautifully. When I was in university, I was, I was walking with the Lord. I, was, I had a devotional life. I wanted to please him. And I made a decision. I was going to apply to a university in Toronto, University of Toronto, and 
I'm going to be an astronomer. Did I get that in prayer? No. I like looking at the stars at night. So I applied. A couple of weeks later, I'm in a prayer time, and I just get this sense. I wasn't even praying about that. I was praying about something else. But this is what God does. If he wants you to know something, he'll tell you. I'm praying about something else entirely, and I suddenly just get this sense. Don't go to the University of Toronto. Okay, what should I do? I just had this sense you're supposed to go home to Manitoba. So that's what I did. Did I agonize over prayer and say, what should I do when I'm at Manitoba? No, then I just signed up at the U of M. I signed up for sciences because that's what I was in. And I just went from there. And later I look back and that's how I met LaDawn and that was really amazing. And then now I'm here. And now I can look back and see, oh, God was guiding me in there. I had choices. And every once in a while he would stop me and say, make this one. But when he does that, it's obvious. If it's not obvious, then you make the choice. Prayerfully make the choice. That is really, really important, which brings us to the third point, which is this. Understand, and this is this theme, this understanding about ourselves, what I'm going to show on this point, is going to be really important foundational for the whole series and the rest of the home life stuff that we're talking about, is this. Understand that your personality will shape how God speaks to you. James 1 verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, so you need to know something from God, let him ask God. So that's the prayer part. If you're making decisions without asking God for wisdom, that's a dangerous thing. But if you're asking him and then seeking for wisdom, you can trust. If you ask, then you can trust he's guiding. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given. There's the promise. It will be given unto him. Now again, notice it does not say it will be given to him immediately while he prays. No, you're going to pray, you're going to ask God, you're going to spend time with him in the morning, and then you're going to go off about your day, and you're going to do that on repeat for days and weeks and months, depending on the decision, and as you do that, he's going to guide you, okay? And you might make decisions you're uncertain about, and you just know in those moments that when you look back, by the way, people are constantly afraid. Let me, let me tell you something here. Well, this is really, really important. If you pray for wisdom and do your best to try to please God, is it even possible to do something that displeases him? If you've got choice A in front of you and choice B, and God doesn't make it super obvious to you which one you should pick, and then you agonize it and you're not sure about it and you pray and then you finally make a decision, can that even be classified as a mistake no matter which one you pick? I would say... That if you prayerfully do your best to please God, it is never possible to displease him. So let's say you pick job A, and six months later you realize, disaster, I hate it. Oh, great. Now you add on to yourself the guilt of, I displease God. And God's going, no, you didn't. It's a learning experience. I get to be with you in this mistake, and let's fix it. Let's go and do this now. Let's try that. You just learned something about yourself. Though a righteous man falls, this it says in Proverbs, seven times he gets up again. That's part of life. When your kid learns to drive a bike and falls off, do you go, you bad kid? <laughs> no, let's go. This is awesome. In fact, they're bleeding everywhere, and you don't want them to think about it because you don't want them to quit practicing. Oh, you're doing great. Oh, it doesn't hurt at all. Go, let's go, right? <laughs> at least that's what I did. Okay? 
Now understand that your personality, now this is super, super important because here's what we as Christians do that is so damaging. We do this in so many hundreds of ways. I can only touch on a couple in any given message, but you know how we damage ourselves? We compare and compare and compare. We just compare, right? So, so so-and-so homeschools. Oh, maybe I'm doing the wrong thing. So-and-so sends their kid to public school. Maybe I'm doing the wrong thing. So-and-so prays three hours a day in the morning. Oh, I'm not as spiritual as them. So-and-so has people over every evening and loves them and, and blesses them with generosity. Oh, I'm such a bad person. Why are we so obsessed with trying to be somebody else? And this happens when it comes to seeking wisdom from Jesus too. Let's just, and I don't want to give a whole breakdown of personalities. I'm, I'm not capable of doing that. We don't have time to do that. But let's even look, when it comes to seeking for guidance, even on something as simple as if you're an introvert or an extrovert, do you know that will totally change how you seek for guidance from God? For example, introverts are much more likely because they're introverts. They're wired that way by God. When they need wisdom from God, they get away from people because they're introverts. So they'll go away. I know of people who have gone away for, you know, two or three days, go to a trailer somewhere off in the boonies by themselves and just spend the time praying. That's a great idea, okay? Especially if you're an introvert. If an extrovert goes away by themselves to a trailer for three days, they go crazy. (laughs) Or an introvert is more likely to go into a prayer room or a private place and spend a few hours praying. And at the end of that time, they will come out and they'll they'll tell people, oh, I just spent like three hours in prayer and I just feel like God gave me so much clarity. And all the extroverts in the room go, oh my goodness. I'm such a bad person. Now, do we all need time alone with God? Yes. Introverts need time alone with God. Extroverts need time alone with God. Do we all need time with people? Yes. Introverts need time with people. Extroverts need time with people. But how much time in each of those categories is dependent on how God has wired you? So an extrovert, yeah. I mean, I'm an extrovert by nature, and I, you know, I love having my devotions every morning, but you know what? To be honest with you, if it goes much longer than an hour, my mind just starts to go all over, and you can feel bad because you read these biographies of missionaries and great men of God who spent two, three hours a day in prayer. I remember hearing a great man of God once uh, in a message say, any pastor who doesn't pray two hours a day is not worth his salt. That was a wonderful burden for me to carry for 10 years before I finally just cast that lead weight off. That's how he was wired. And you think, well, they're spiritual because they can go off on their own for hours and hours and hours. Well, actually, did you know that for an extrovert, depending on your personality, again, and of course, I'm vastly oversimplifying because there's so many nuances. There's many different kinds of extroverts, many different kinds of introverts. But you know, for an extrovert, one of the best ways for them to hear God is to have a conversation with some other people. Some of you, and I've actually seen this happen. Some of you, when you're trying to process something big or trying to make a decision, You need to go and pray with God, have your devotional time, half an hour, an hour, whatever it is, right? Then you need to just get out of that devotional time because you're an extrovert. And you actually just need to go and talk to some trusted people. Get someone who really loves you. You know, some people are more like this than others. There's certain personality types called, it's an explorer personality type. They need someone who loves them very much to be a sounding board for like two hours. And they will talk and explore possibilities and explore this and the insides and the outsides of something. And at the end of it, you'll be like, oh my goodness. And they'll feel like, I know what God wants me to do. I feel so good. I have clarity of thought. Wow, this is amazing. 
Now, we think, well, no, the guy who's spiritual is the guy who went off into the bush and prayed for three hours, and the guy who talked to his friend wasn't spiritual. How is one more spiritual than the other? God has wired us differently. I make a plea to our entire church today. Can we cast off comparing? How has God made you? Yeah, I mean, if we're going to clap, let's just clap. I think it is a good truth, right? How has God made you? Now, again, this is not an excuse. I know some people will take this as an excuse. Uh, and then, oh, I just don't need to do devotions. I, we all need the word of God in us. But how that looks and how much time it takes is going to radically change. So for one person, it's no problem for them. If they have a cup of coffee and they have their comfy chair at home, they open up the Bible and they just connect with God through just reading. I know lots of people who love Jesus who have a difficult, it is a difficult discipline for them to just read the Bible like that every day. And there are so many other creative things you can do to connect with how God made you and get the word in you. For some of you, the best thing you could do is get the Bible on audio and go for a walk. Why do you have to do it like someone else? Get it on audio and just go for a walk. Or I talked to a pastor just this last week because it's important to get the word of God into you. And he said, you know what? I love God. I love the Bible. But he's like, and I do every morning, I spend a little time reading the Bible. And he's like, but it's always only been a discipline. But he said, this is when it comes alive for me is when I get with a group of other people and we read a passage out loud together and discuss it. I fall in love with the word and I get it then. Do you know what? If that's you, find another person or two that is like you and set up a running appointment twice a week and meet in a coffee shop. Me, if I have devotions in a coffee shop, not going to be good. I know a couple of pastors, lead pastors of churches, who their best devotional times happen in a coffee shop. Meet with someone else, read a passage of scripture together, and discuss it, and see how, it, if that's what it takes to come alive, do that. I know people in this church, I talked to someone again last night about this, I know people in this church who for years, they, they struggle to read the Bible, and, and they're married, and who for years now, every night before they go to bed, will read a chapter of the Bible out loud to each other. And they just work their way through the Bible, and that works for them. And that way they get the Word of God in them. So here's what we need, the Word of God. We need a little bit of journaling. I, in fact, I read some, uh, but again, how much journaling and how, what kind of journaling is going to differ. I read a whole bunch of secular studies uh, uh, in the last couple of days. Very interesting. They have done a, a research now all over that the act of journaling, writing something down in a journal about what's going on inside of you or things that you're thankful for, that sort of thing, has powerful physiological effects on your brain and on your body. In fact, it has been found to com combat uh, rheumatoid arthritis, things like that, help your immune system, uh, leads to lower rates of depression, all kinds of things. So there's a truth there. There's a scientific truth. There's some part of our brain that's activated when we write out things that are going. And that's, that's aside from being a Christian, these are secular studies. There's something that happens when you write things down about what's going on inside of you are thankful that can change your life. So that's important. But even in journaling, we're going to be different. One person can spend 30 minutes or 60 minutes a day in journaling, no problem. That's how they think through things. And another person just finds journaling really, really hard. So maybe for you, your bigger thing is put on some worship music and pace in the basement and sing and worship God. And then at the end, 
Take five or ten minutes and write down a couple things you're thankful for and one thought, God, this is how I want you to use me today. Just something very simple. Do that. You know, once or twice a year, we do these abide journals at church. Jump on that bandwagon. Let us guide you through that and then jump back to something else you're doing. But find your sweet spot. Understand that your personality will shape how God speaks to you. How God has wired you, he has made you a certain way and he wants to connect with you the way you are. So here's what I want you to do now. I want you just to bow your heads with me and close your eyes. And I wonder, because lots of us here have decisions ahead of us. I wonder if there is a creative idea that God wants to put on your heart this morning that you want to experiment with this, this week. I would challenge all of you to experiment this week. How has God made you? Some of you, you have a big decision ahead of you. You know what the best thing you could do is, is not go to a prayer room. Some of you, the best thing you could do is get in your vehicle and go for a three-hour drive somewhere out into the boonies, grab a burger, and then drive back. Because there's just something about driving that brings, you'll come back and you'll be like, I have so much clarity. Some of you need to go out into the bush and just go fishing for a day and you'll come out and you'll have clarity. How has God wired you? And I want to I encourage every person here this week, experiment. Experiment. You have a decision in front of you. You can trust that God is going to guide you. He is going to be with you. Seek him in creative ways. Try one creative thing this week to try and connect with God in a new way. As the worship lead team leads us in a song, let God give you a creative idea that you'd like to try this week.